Welcome everyone back to another special episode of Rants and Revelations. Uh, this week we're releasing two episodes. We had one really long one that we split into two different episodes. This is on biblical pastoral authority. We thought after the last one on abusive churches that maybe we should address pastoral authority since that's kind of the crux of a lot of the problems that we had in our context. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please do subscribe, like our content, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. And we would really appreciate it if you would email us any questions you have. We would like to do a Q&A episode if we can get enough questions collected. Our email is the number four rantsandrevelations at gmail.com. I will leave a link in the description or at least the email in the description so you can find that. Again, please send us your questions and please enjoy the episode. Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity and to protect those who may not want their information given out. All right, Mike, we're back once again with Rants and Revelations. How goes it? It goes how it goes with you. <laughs> About the same, my friend. <laughs> so we're here today back with Lance, who made it to the podcast studio. I am here. High-tech podcast studio. <laughs> hey, yes. The highest of the techiest. Yes, our moving blankets are straight from Harbor Freight. Yep. And the highest quality that came from China. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what we do here. <laughs> Joining us tonight also is Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff, say hello to the podcast world. Hello, podcast world. <laughs> pastor Jeff is the pastor of Church A. So with that, as we always do, we like to start with some banter. So Pastor Jeff, I need a story from the Bible. A story from the Bible? Any Bible story. Jesus wept. All right. And Lance, I need a <laughs> style of music. Jazz. So we're going to chat GPT, and we're having the story of Jesus wept rewritten in a jazz song. We'll see how far we get through this, but this is our banter. Feel free to chime in, add, do your thing. Now I don't want to review right now. So <laughs> in the land of ancient Bethlehem, a story is told of a man who walked on water and had a heart of gold. He healed the sick, and he turned water into wine, but even the Son of God had his moments to pine. Yeah, it's all right. So far. <laughs> I'm going to get us through the chorus, then I'm just going to cut it. Oh, Jesus wept with tears so deep and true. In the darkest hour, he cried for me and you. In a world of sin and sorrow, he bore the heavy load. Oh, Jesus wept with a soul as pure as gold. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. This is where you guys start snapping. Everybody needs to snap now. <laughs> snap away. <laughs> Thank we, you. We need someone on like a bongo. A bongo. Play in the background. <laughs> so if you're wondering, podcast world, how the story of Jesus wept, rewritten in a jazz tune, thanks to Pastor Jeff and Pastor Lance, given to us by ChatGPT. Well, there you go. If you want the rest, you can chat gpt it yourself yeah. i doubt anybody has ever been wondering that yeah hey, this is supposed to be the banter portion and <laughs> hey jeff give us a story jesus wept i mean here we are hey it works <laughs> see in my house we call that lewising the conversation yes <laughs> that's where you're having a normal conversation and someone gives some anecdote of something really tragic <laughs> and it just like dive bombs the entire conversation. <laughs> so we call yeah. that Lewising it since that's a family trait of yeah. ours. <laughs> that's good some, some people do well with being put on the spot. Others not so much. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll take it in stride. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do that. I'm not sure if the four of us have been together in the same room since you mm. and I reconnected, Lance. I think this is the first mm. time the four of us have been in the same room in over just over 20 years because wow. it was so. 20 2003 when we first met when i came on board you three were already together hmm. and then i decided to meander on in i heard there was food hmm. you know free homeless ministry 
you know, given my background, not really. I was not homeless. Showed up with my family. You were 18. I was an adult at the time, you know, fresh out of high school. But I think this is the first time, if I recall correctly, the four of us have been together since the end Mm. or the beginning of the split, Mm. whatever we want to call it. That's amazing. It's good to be together. I'm thankful to be here at a seat. Uh, with a seat at the table with you guys. Hey, well, and you, Steve, Jeff. you look different because the first time I saw you, you were a young man of 18 wearing <laughs> a suit and tie. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about that, uh, how I thought, oh, mornings for suit and tie, evenings for what, cholo. cholo. <laughs> 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 not even cholo. It's like honky, you know, not even trying cholo. <laughs> you know, hillbilly cholo. <laughs> well, with that, Jeff, as we begin to go, had a few things he wanted to share with us um, as we've discussed the topic of a healthy church, an unhealthy church, our experiences through this church split. Jeff had a few things he wanted to bring to the table before we jump in mm-hmm. as we go to our main topic of what is a healthy church model or what is biblical pastoral what authority. Is biblical pastoral authority. If I can remember my title, <laughs> you know, we're just, we wing it here at Ransom Revelations. It's the, the professional quality we bring. Mm. And just a side note, we're super grateful to have you in the room, Jeff, yeah. because yeah. this is uh yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So mm. we're, yeah. we're grateful. Thank you for coming out and mm-hmm. getting around no, the yeah. table with us. Making yeah. time. Not only is it a big deal, I think for the three of us, uh, Jeff has played a significant role in our spiritual mm. lives, yeah. yeah. And um, and I know for for me, uh, I've shared anecdotes on past uh, episodes about Jeff's role in my life, like encouraging me not to send my response email to Mike and like mm. different things like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, super grateful that you've joined us today. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. yeah. Well, again, thanks for the seat at the table and for the the opportunity to be a part of the conversation. And, you know, as far as uh, Church A goes, you know, I know that there are a number of people that have been listening in and benefiting from the things that you brothers have been sharing. So I just want to thank you for the, the wisdom that you have been uh, giving and pouring out and really the vital concern with which you've been doing it. That, that's really been coming across. And I am certain that it is really, really helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's affected my heart. I've been listening in and I've listened to a handful of the epi- episodes multiple times. And, you know, I I have been a part of Church A for a long time, and uh, my family started attending the church in the early 90s, back when I was listening to much uh, KNAC. Remember KNAC? I remember I had, (laughs) uh, I found an audio tape the other day, a cassette, last hour of KNAC. Oh, wow. I apparently recorded. Yes. So, yes. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but I, you know, my family started attending in the early 90s in my young adulthood. And um, I've been there ever since and came on to pastoral staff in, on, in the year 1998. And, you know, so uh, my wife and I, we, we lived through all of the things that you guys have been talking about. And, well, I'll tell you what, you know, is, is just as I, th- I think of that year and the aftermath of that year, it's been really helpful to hear you guys processing those things. And... You know, it, it was hard. And, you know, as I just share a bit of, you know, how things were in my heart and in my mind, you know, I share those things because um, perhaps it'll be helpful. You guys have been sharing things that have been helpful. And, you know, just maybe what I experienced through it all will lend support to some people too. But, you know, is, is it just as I think about um, what was happening, you know, that, 2003 was the year and um, 2004 was the January. That was the aftermath when it really got gnarly. And as I think about how um, different people were dealing with it and responding to it, I I think that they're to totally oversimplify things. um, I'll say that there, you know, are a few categories of people. And I, I think that there are some that are blessed with discernment very clear discernment so that when there is an abusive situation, they see it and they see it with clarity. And it's like the indicator warning lights on the dashboard. They just start, you know, it's flashing. It's not just there with a gentle glow. It's flashing. There is trouble here. And there are some who have very strong um, discernment. 
Um, and looking back, there are also those who, I, I think that they are just decisive. Whether they have discernment or not, they are just decisive. <laughs> they yeah. could be right. They could be wrong. They have the ability to basically take a side, take a stand, and go with it. They got some Peter in them. <laughs> yeah, there, mm -hmm. you, there you go. There you go. But in the midst of really difficult things that we experienced as well, you know, j just as things started off not as clear, but then once we got into December and January, it all became more clear. I mean, even in the midst of that, I think there's another category that I and I think a lot of people uh, that, that went to either church afterwards that they would kind of resonate with. And that, that's just a, a sense of perplexity, just being perplexed and in, in some ways just just baffled and just saying, okay, what, what, is, the, what is right here? Um, and, you know, because on, on the one hand, you get this sense, okay, something is wrong. Something is amiss. It might not be flashing, you know, like the the people with high discernment see it with, but you just got the sense that th there is something wrong with this situation, and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And you know, but as those things, those impulses are in your heart. At the same time, you know, Pastor Tom, you know, really utilized First Corinthians thirteen. Trust the best, trust the best, trust the he best. Did. And and that is in First Corinthians 13. And we do want to give people the benefit of the doubt. So there's as that aspect of it. And then in addition to that, there are good things that you see, right? They're, they're mixed in with the troubling things. There are other things that are like, okay, I learned something there. But I think that the, the part that makes it most perplexing, I know it, it did for me, was that there were so many good people, so many people who um, I, I just appreciate, appreciated and still appreciate, who just in their response to Pastor Tom, they didn't, they didn't evidently see anything wrong. And that was just so strange to deal with and to process when you have people that you respect and people that you appreciate who are, are just fully on board while meanwhile your heart is, um, you know, just pounding away saying, warning, warning, warning. And then there are these people that you have no problem with. You actually respect them. And they're just fully lending themselves in support of the one who troubles you. That is perplexing. Mm -hmm. That is difficult. And you, you can have this tendency to say, Okay, am I crazy? Was that on one of the? Um, I thought maybe I'm crazy. I thought I saw on one of the um, promotions of this podcast. You're not crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was one of them that I put up on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not alone, and you're not crazy. Yes, you're not alone, and you're not crazy. And those are important sentences, Mike. Um, because there are a lot, a, a lot of people who experience this. It's not that we don't see the 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 problems. We see the problems. But then we see others that don't see the problems. And it's like, what do you do? What do you do with that? It's a challenge. There were people who to this day, I just have so much love and admiration of who just went with the guy. And it was baffling. Yeah. Women, elderly, like sweet sister, you know, senior saints, women who went out of the church and I never saw them since. Mm who I loved and it just broke my heart. Right. So it can be very, very perplexing. So in the midst of that, if there's anybody who's listening, I, I just appreciate those two sentences very, very much. You're not crazy and you're not alone. I was so thankful when the people with very, very clear discernment and decisiveness in the church started coming forth you know, because it gives more and more freedom for those seeing the same things to say this. You say, okay, thank you. I am not nuts. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I have so much appreciation for the, the people in the church who had that ability. I think given by God in the moment. 
Uh, Lance, you've mentioned the elder and wife that you lived with. I mean, the stand that that man took, I know with his wife's support was, I mean, that was crucial. And I have so much admiration for him. And as I think about when everything went down, you know, Lance, the, the fact that you stayed, that helped so much. A lot of people. I mean, it, it, uh, truly, you were a blessing to the church, right? And then with time, more and more people are like, yeah, we see it. Even people that went to church be coming back, we see it. Michael, eventually you were back at Church A. Yeah. I remember one night in particular when we were, I think you mentioned it in the podcast at one point, when we were um, at the point where we were changing the church constitution and bylaws. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we went in a direction that we were now going to have a biblical model of elders leading the church. And there were some people struggling with that. And I'll never forget that night that you stepped up and you spoke out in that business meeting, um, vouching not only for the model, but also for people in the church that were in leadership, just talking about how it was a different character altogether of what you had been under. Yeah, I don't know if you remember saying that. I, I remember you saying that. I do. I vividly remember that because yeah. I remember it felt like, okay, this is a crucial moment yeah. mm -hmm. for this church because I, I was involved at church a for quite a while my grandparents stayed there yeah so it was you know and still is like a really special church to me yeah so yeah i i definitely remember that mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i'm i'm just grateful that yeah everything aligned that way and that hopefully you know what i said was helpful so it was yeah and then in due time you know it was so good um with michael at the church with lance at the church and we thought about bro steve all the time we continued praying and just praying that, you know, he'd be part of that <laughs> collective momentum of just seeing things. And then one day out of nowhere, I get a text from Skifter, and there he is with Sturs and these two brothers together. And it was just the most joyous thing to see them in each other's embrace. They did threaten me. Is that what it took? Yeah, I mean, vile <laughs> threats against my mother, so. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I, I like it. to think that we're back into our bantering again. <laughs> Not really. I came on my own accord by God's good grace. You sure did. You really sure did. did. And then when I saw you at yet another conference and the, the, the hug that you gave me, mm. it, it was just such a, such a blessing, my brother. Even came to the point where Lance has preached at Church A, and then Steve, you you even stood up in the pulpit and preached, yeah. and it was just so good. And it just, I just, I just give glory to God, and I, I give thanks to God how, just with time and with prayer, more and more became clear to more and more people, and that's what we were praying for. And so I, I, I bring all of this up because I, I think in abusive situations, it's usually conveyed and it's successful because people can be very, very manipulative mm. and you feel like you're just going crazy and it's very hard to kind of, kind of find your way up sometimes. And so you're not crazy. You're not alone. And, you know, I think podcasts like this are helping people that are really struggling in comparable situations. Can I just speak to what I've kind of picking up as a subtext to yeah. this conversation, what you're saying? And I think it maybe is appropriate um, on the heels of our, our last episode, which was about escaping an yeah. uh, abusive church. One of the main things I felt when I left was shame. Yeah. Because I felt like, oh my gosh, how did I get sucked into this whole thing and not see it for so long and then stay there once I did see it? And then, you know, I, I just felt like such a moron, mm. you know, how could I be so foolish and coming back to church a and just being accepted with, I mean, there may have been one or two people who were kind of standoffish, mm. but I didn't pick up on it. Mm -hmm. It was, it felt like I was just back home mm. and I felt this love from the leadership and the mm. people who were still there that I knew and I mean, I expected to be shamed. Mm. 
Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but hearing mm-hmm. you talk about it mm-hmm. and the love that you have for people who went mm-hmm. with Pastor Tom mm-hmm. and everything, yeah. I, I wonder if, if there's people out there who are either is mm. it fresh mm. out of uh, an abusive church or thinking about leaving an abusive church and struggling with that shame and maybe hearing that mm. could give them some hope that maybe the people mm-hmm. on the outside looking in are rooting for them. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of longing that we experienced at Church A for um, many, pretty much everybody who went on and a lot of it was really painful. You know, you, yeah. you guys were dis, you guys were describing, you know, what was the atmosphere the Sundays following? And um, Lance, I appreciated how you kind of described things at Church A. Um, yeah, there, there was a sense of relief. And with some, I mean, whew, they, they were so happy because it's just like the dark cloud of that time had lifted. But... Lance, when you said, this sucks, I miss my friends. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of that. I mean, people went on, uh, men who, and wives that we shared tables with, shared meals with. And um, another dude that I went on ski trips with, people that I still love, I think some of them I'll only see in glory, right? And that's what could just make it so perplexing. That's why I just keep coming back to that. Um, Because spiritual abusers can be very manipulative. Mm. And we've got to have great patience. We've got to have great sensitivity to that. And just keep praying that the the Lord opens eyes. Yeah. Right? Would would you say it's a fair assessment of Tom's ministry that he was spiritually abusive? Mm. Yeah. Based on everything that I've been hearing, you know, on this podcast, yeah, right. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard Steve mention that you know, with some people, he knew to he knew who to mind his p's and q's around, yeah, so to speak. Um, I might have been one of those people, although there were increasing, glaring warning lights through the course of that year that were just rising up. And then it really culminated, you know, that last month where it's like, oh man, this is crazy town. What is happening here? Yeah. Thank you, Jeff, for um, just sharing your heart on all that stuff. Um, I, I would say as a word of encouragement to, on the other side of the coin as to what Mike said is to, for those who are in the situation of being the abused or the deceived to pursue reconciliation but those who are on the other side who have lost people to always not give up hope and to keep praying and to wait on the lord in those things is good Mm -hmm. and it's his timing not ours to wait on that is the difficult part but Mm -hmm. know that even till the end it's worth praying and remembering no matter what the situation or the outcome yeah because there's there's still hope for reconciliation and you never know when God's going to move in somebody. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I'd ever see Steve again. I was going to say this episode right here is proof proof of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. There's four guys sitting around this table that, you know, we probably at one point in our lives never thought we'd see Mm -hmm. each. We'd never thought we'd all four be together again. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that God's in the business of reconciliation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that's his heart for his people. And it's his heart for his people to seek that with each other. And, um, I think we've mentioned it a few times. Um, but like if you're on the outside looking in at somebody in an abusive situation, um, be kind to them, be gentle with them so that when the scales fall off their eyes, they Mm -hmm. have some place that they feel safe coming to. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just like beating them over the head and like berating them, they're, they're going to, you know, they're not going to want to come and be told, I told you so, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're going to want to just come. They need what they need is they need to be, they need to be loved. Prodigal son. They need Mm -hmm. to be, yeah, Mm -hmm. they need to be Mm -hmm. embraced, um, you know, embraced in that, in that regard. And, and, uh, one of the things that, 
I remember, and it'll come out in our bonus episode, mm-hmm. but we were talking about earlier was when I got your, when I got that email, the infamous email that Mike sent me, um, I remember thinking to myself, I don't accept these terms. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't accept that. I don't accept that our friendship's over. I don't accept that the relationship is gone. And by the grace of God, I didn't, I didn't accept that and continued reaching out over the years. And, um, yeah. And to have you in my wedding was an amazing, mm-hmm. was an amazing time, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a testimony of God's, God's grace. So, yeah. And I'm glad you didn't accept the terms of that email. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And likewise, I didn't accept the terms of Steve's email. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> we can go back on it. <laughs> go back. Let's, let's make it happen. Sign on the uh, line. Well, Jeff, thank you for the the good word, um, just the kind words and the good introduction, the encouragement with everything we've been through, um, though it's not as extreme as it could have been in every aspect, it still is personal and traumatic in its own right. And to be able to talk through it is just healing, to be able to come together as brothers in Christ is just an amazing grace of God, as we've said, ad nauseum, but it's worth saying again and again. So with that, we want to jump into our main topic of understanding true pastoral authority, and that's a bit of what Pastor Tom abused at Church A, was his role as pastor, not only at Church A, but Church A addendum, which would be the split church. Mm-hmm. Church B. Church mm-hmm. B. And so sorry, Lance, your church isn't Church B. That's taken by the, the cult we are in. I'm cult light. okay having that. Time. All right, I figured you'd be okay with it. <laughs> so with that, we want to jump into what is a true pastor's authority? What's his sphere? Because the Bible is clear that the pastor does hold authority. Um, he's to carry a stick and he's to use it as a shepherd does in many ways. But there are limitations to that, um, that we are warned about, that we need to take heed to as those under pastoral authority and as those that are pastors, two being pastors in this room, two being under the authority of pastors. What's the appropriate model? What do we do? So we're going to focus the first portion on a bit of what is an, an unbiblical approach to pastoral ministry. As always, we're using a bit of broad strokes, um, there's potentially men who would follow this, who don't abuse it. Yeah. Some of these roles, it's clearly abusive. Um, the one that I would say can be used in a good way is the Moses model. There mm-hmm. are churches that do use the Moses model where there's a good loving pastor, um, but we're focusing more on the negatives and these have a propensity to greater negatives for certain reasons we'll discuss. The big three we're gonna touch on is gonna be pastor's prophet or the man of God. Um, similar, but a little different is the pastor's apostle, and then as already mentioned is pastor um, and the Moses model. So let's go around the table here, um, chime in as you want guys, but let's focus just a couple minutes on pastor as prophet, but go for it, Lance. You're pointing. I was pointing to Mike, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pointing makes me the guy to go. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like you were subtly raising your hand, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, there is a biblical office of prophet, mm. namely in the Old Testament, uh, as God's way of communicating His word to His people. Before we had what we now call the Bible, they had prophets that would come and deliver the word of the Lord to the people. It was they were messengers, um, but they would receive their revelation straight from God. And then they would deliver that message to the people. Sometimes, uh, sometimes future messages, sometimes pertinent for the day messages, um, sometimes messages of judgment, sometimes messages of blessing. Uh, but they were delivering God's message to the people. Uh, what a pastor does is delivers God's message mm-hmm. to the people as well. Uh, but we don't receive our message straight from the mouth of God anymore, right? The, the, the Bible, the canon is closed and it is our authority and that's where we get our, our message from and our authority from is from the scriptures. And so uh, we do not function anymore in the office of prophet. And what we're kind of drawing here is a distinction between the act of prophesying, mm-hmm. which is to declare the words of God for the edification of the church, and the office of prophet, which would have been, like you said, an Old Testament office until the completion of the canon, um, which was completed through the apostles in Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're really, I guess, the apostles had somewhat of a prophetic 
office in that sense. They had that they were, yeah, well, they had an apostolic <laughs> office, which is it is different. It's not an Old Testament yeah. prophet office, so yeah, it's a little different. But I think it's Hebrews one one, right? That says that in previous times, and he mm-hmm. he spoke to us through his prophets, and in the last time, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, mm-hmm. and th- that kind of is putting an end to that era of the prophets. So hmm. that that's the way I yeah. understand it anyway. Yeah. But as you guys talk about this, the, the prophet model, you know, I, I'm just mindful of how there can be pastors that will say, speak to a Christian, to a church or a particular Christian and preface what they say by saying, God spoke to me and he told me that we, the church are to do this or that you as a particular Christian are to do this. Um, okay, open scripture and divide the word. That is how the Lord is speaking into our lives. You know, so you, you hear uh, uh, some, it, it might not even be a pastor who does this, but another Christian. Oh, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he told me that you are supposed to serve in this particular ministry. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit can tell me that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it can be a way to manipulate people. Mm. I heard from God, and God told me that this is supposed to happen in this particular way. No, be very, very wary uh, about that kind of approach from people. That's how I got into a wanna ministry at Church A. <laughs> Somebody told me that. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah. it's one thing to say, hey, I hope the Holy Spirit's guiding me in this, but I think you can be a really good addition to the team. And I I just want to encourage you in that. And maybe the Spirit's prompting me in that. It's another thing to say, God spoke to me and he told me that I was supposed to tell you that it's his will that you're going to do this ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, when it, when it's coming from the heart of a believer, you know, and saying, Hey, I've got this impression, but, but in prophecy, they received an actual word from God. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, just gotta be careful about yeah, that. That's a good word. Yeah. Was it a word from God? It was a word of encouragement <laughs> from <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> and I, I hope that it accords with what's in scripturally the word. true. <laughs> so, pastor is prophet. Um, just to point back to Pastor Tom, what are some ways that he abused that? Did he abuse that one directly? Um, he did it sort of subversively because he didn't directly say. You know, the pastor is a prophet, though he pointed to this sort of like mysterious man of God character in the Old Testament who just received this word and was given one mission to do and was supposed to complete that uh, at threat of like death um, and drew a straight line from that to, you know, in Timothy where Paul calls Timothy a man of God and said, see, same phrase, same meaning. Which is a word study fallacy, a, mm. you know, mm. but um, so in a sense, you could, I think you could say, though that man of God is unnamed, that is an Old Testament prophet. He just didn't get a book. So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I would say that would be the closest thing to Tom's model and is the par- the prophet because ultimately that is a prophetic office was it you that heard him say or both of you or all three of you that heard him say that when he's speaking from behind the pulpit he's infallible that was, that, he said that to me yeah and me yeah, yeah. so you two did hear that mm-hmm. you ever hear that jeff on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> it counts yeah. we'll take it i don't recall that he ever told yeah. me that said that to me personally when you guys were yeah. working together yeah so that falls pretty clearly in line with the prophet, even the apostle portion to a, to a bit of a large degree with what Pastor Tom would proclaim as his authority coming from. Now, pastor's apostle is clearly related. What's some of the nuance there, and how is that abused um, in today's world? Jeff, why don't you take that one? How is pastor's apostle? How is it related to the pastor's prophet? What are some examples maybe we see in some churches today? Mm-hmm. What does well, that do to demean the people? Well, what comes to mind initially for me is it comes from an example that's clearly outside of Orthodox Christianity, and that's how you know the the Mormons, the Latter Day Saints, have 
their 12 apostles, you know, with their president of the church at the very top. And they believe that they are receiving ongoing direct revelation from the Lord, if I understand it correctly. So that similarly in Roman Catholicism, you know, the, the Pope speaks ex, ex cathedra. It has the same binding authority of scripture as he speaks in, you know, to the Roman Catholic Church today. And so I know that Mormons have their whole system of prophets and their apostles and their president. So as you asked, that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And what are some of the abuses that come with a system like that? God is speaking through scripture. Okay? God has given us the word of God, and it's through correctly dividing the word of God that we're going to understand what the ongoing will of the Lord is. Knowing that that is how God has spoken and how he speaks to us now, when men assume authority to continue to speak things outside of scripture, you're just getting the will of man clothed as the will of God. And what can you do when somebody's saying, I've got a direct revelation from the Lord. Here's what he's telling you to do through me. Otherwise, you're directly disobeying God. Yeah. That's what they're getting at. Yeah. So, yeah, if you disobey what the apostle says, you're essentially disobeying God. Yeah. And chaos ensues. Yeah. Pretty abruptly. So, last model is the Moses model. Um, this is probably the tamest of the three, I would say. But Mike, touch on the Moses model. Explain a little bit some of the dangers. But because it is a little tamer, what are some ways that it actually can be used in a good way? Okay. Not, not to knock everybody yeah. out of the boat. Full disclosure, this is the model that Calvary Chapel and um, another one that I'm blanking, I think Vineyard, maybe? Don't quote me on that. I know for a fact uh, Calvary Chapel uses this model. Mm. Um so there are many Calvary chapels who have very godly, loving pastors um, and don't have a problem with abuse in the church. The problem with the model is that it opens the door for an abusive pastor to take over. And I have personal knowledge of a couple from uh, the church I go to now who came out of an abusive Calvary chapel. Um, and this Moses model just allows this pastor at that Calvary Chapel to continue to abuse people and mm-hmm. amass money for himself. Uh, the Moses model is just exactly what it sounds like, the pastor as Moses. Um, the problem with that is that the New Testament actually has very specific uh, parameters for the office of pastor uh, and a plurality of elders. And the Moses model does allow for elders, but... The idea within the Moses model is, and this is, you can read this on Calvary Chapel's um, website, actually. It's printed. This is not like me shooting from the hip. Um, the idea is that the pastor is the visionary head and the, the elders are there to support his vision and purpose mm. um, rather than be a check and balance and um, a support. I mean, elders are still a support to the pastor. They're not just there to, they're not like, you know, the house and the Senate, but (laughs) you know, there's multiple functions of elders, but um, there is impetus to remove elders who do not play ball Mm. within the Moses model. Yeah. And there's, there's the thing about Calvary Chapel is they, they really support expository preaching Mm -hmm. through the scriptures. I learned a lot listening to Calvary Chapel Radio when I was first saved. I used to listen to a lot of their programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that, so hear me, I'm not saying Calvary Chapel is an abusive church. It needs Mm -hmm. to be, you know, taken to the ground. No, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that. But um, the Moses model opens the door for abusive pastors to take hold in a congregation and they don't really have a lot of checks and balances. Um, and the Moses model is not really a new Testament pastoral model purely. Mm-hmm. It, it relies on this sort of borrowed, uh, theocratic model from the old Testament. Yeah. Th- that, that model really appeals to the pride still dwelling within pastors mm-hmm. and newsflash uh, pastors are still battling sin. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, I face that, um, if there's going to be vision for church, a, Hey man, I'm, I'm holding the position of senior pastor. It's going to come through me. And 
I'm still battling Jeff's ego. And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to crucify my ego and reveal to me, hey, hey, Jeff, I may be giving vision for an awesome initiative through somebody else in the church, hmm. through your, the associate pastor that you're working with, through uh, somebody else on the board, for somebody who might not even be serving as an elder. There can be amazing impulses and leadership and just um, ideas for the, the progress of the church that's not going to come through the dude who holds that position. And it's good and it's healthy when a man can realize, hey, man, the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking through many, many voices, right? Leading many voices, you know, not, not in that binding apostolic way, but just prompting with good ideas. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that God doesn't give pastors vision either. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the, the problem is that the, with the Moses model is that it lays that on the pastor solely mm-hmm. and in, mm. you know. Well, and that was a, that was a trend that was happening for quite a while. I mean, there was a, a bunch of books that came out. I remember in a season, probably the early 2010s, about 10 years ago, 13 years ago, that was like pastor as visionary and pastor as, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I do remember uh, a man that I respect, I should say digitally, because I don't never met him in person, but <laughs> uh, like John Piper, his title was pastor for preaching and vision. That's right. At his, at his church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God may very well have gifted him that way. And perhaps if they had another vision casting person, he would have passed that title off to someone else. So I'm not saying anything negative, but I remember feeling this pressure as a pastor that I also had to be a visionary. Mm. And I remember going to my elders and being like, if that's what you need from me, I'm not the guy. Mm. All I know how to do is preach. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all I want to do. It's all I like to do. Preach and shepherd people is mm. what I want to do. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to me to cast a vision, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you have a vision, if you have a direction for the church, if you if we hear a direction from the church from someone else, uh, I think I'm a great guy to sell that. Mm. Yeah, you you pitch it to me, so to speak, and I'm a great guy to get people on board with that vision. I can do that, but the the actual like coming up with that vision mm-hmm. is not in my mm-hmm. it's not in my giftedness. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I, I do remember a point in time of feeling the pressure of that, like, mm. and isn't office. it, isn't there such freedom in realizing God hasn't gifted me for that? Yeah. Here's what God has gifted me for. Yeah. And so you hold the office of pastor and you serve in that office out of whatever spiritual gifts you've been given, which may or may not include... Uh, not I'll even say this, not even not all pastors even have the spiritual gift of leadership mm-hmm. in the sense of um, having a clear sense of direction with particular initiatives where they just surge with the ability to galvanize the troops and get everybody on board. That pastor may be more gifted with teaching or with tenderness for the flock in the midst of the painful things that they're going through. One of the, one of the great challenges of pastoral ministry is that um, some pastors feel like they just need to be omnicompetent <laughs> and they, they need the whole mix of spiritual gifts. Newsflash to everybody who's listening. Your pastor does not have all of the spiritual gifts. Mm. And it's okay. And it's okay. And it's, and it's liberating for everybody when you recognize what gifts your pastor does have and you say, hey, let's... Let's um, let them loose in those areas, you know, like Romans chapter 12. Hey, if with teaching, then focus in on your teaching, man. Hey, if with mercy, then do it with cheer. Focus in on your mercy, right? Don't, don't try to exercise the gifts that you don't have, and don't expect other people to do the same thing. And then surround your pastor, you know, or trust the Spirit of God to surround your pastor with others who are going to fill out you know, that, that pie chart, so to speak, <laughs> with, with yeah. all of the gifts that are needed for the church to thrive. One body, many members. Many members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Amen. Sounds, that almost sounds biblical, Lance. <laughs> I didn't make it up. 
Mm. <laughs> not original to Lance. I'm mm. not prophet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. One day, though. One day, Lance, you'll get there. So we've observed and talked about a few um, unbiblical models, models with issues, varying degrees of how things can go sideways from really bad to dangerous, but depending on leadership could be a good model. So we're going to take a look now at the biblical models of pastoral authority, some of the freedoms and liberties that pastors have within the authority, but also certain restrictions that they have, defining role, defining purpose. And the first big one is the idea of under-shepherd, submitting to Christ um, with the rest of the church. So, Mike, let's start with you. Talk a little bit of pastors under-shepherd, and we'll toss it around the room. Uh, get some discussion going on that, but this idea of under-shepherding, what does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, there's several verses that talk about Christ as the chief shepherd, um, and it implies that those shepherds who are shepherds in the church are under his authority, and there's uh, Matthew 23, uh, 1 through 12, that Christ addresses you know, the disciples and says, the Pharisees have placed themselves in Moses' seat, Right. So do what they say and what they tell you, but don't do what they do because they lay these heavy burdens on people's backs and they are not willing to lift them with one of their fingers. Um, but don't call anyone on earth your father. Don't call anyone on earth your rabbi or your teacher because you have one leader who's Christ and you're all brothers. So this principle sort of permeates the leadership model within Christianity. And there's... Um, I have another verse somewhere. It says very similar thing. Christ speaks very similar word. Um, there's also, um, um, I want to say it's first Peter one, one where he's, Peter says to the saints and faithful brothers who have received a faith of the same mm -hmm. kind or the same caliber or the same, uh, value basically as ours. So Peter, an apostle, is speaking to the church, saying, you all have received a faith of the same level as ours. So there's no caste system within the church, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean pastors don't have a, a different office or that they don't deserve our respect or honor. It just means there is no second-class Christian. Amen. So, Amen to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, pastors need to be careful in their understanding of what the shepherd metaphor is for and what the flock metaphor is for. Typically, it's tongue in cheek, but sometimes it can be out of actual arrogance where pastors will perch themselves and view themselves on another level. And, oh, we've got all these sheep, you know, all these sheep. We need to, you know, they can't think for themselves. Dumb old sheep. Yeah. <laughs> just, I've heard, you know, yeah. we've heard that over the years. Yeah. Sheep are dumb. Right. They, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, even at my ordination, uh, the guy who gave my ordination message yeah. said to the congregation, sheep bite. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like it was, and they do. And they do. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. But it was, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we've just got to be careful about the, the, sh the flock metaphor and not perceiving it in a way that would make it so that the pastor views himself, like you're saying, Michael, on another level. And these, these people need me. Um, yeah. Now, the shepherd metaphor is given so that I think first and foremost to distill uh, uh, just a sense of tenderness within the pastor for the flock, mm. just to, to love them, to, to have affection for them in the same way that the good shepherd Christ knows us all by name. And you know, the, now the sheep metaphor works because, yeah, we, the, the song resonates with us. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the, the God I love. But pastors experience that too. You know, and, and so if a pastor views himself as someone who is perched up above, yeah, that's, that's a warning signal. Hmm. We need to keep in mind the additional metaphors of the church that God gives just so that we can esteem the bride of Christ. That's yeah, the flock of God, and sometimes church, sometimes a sheep are really stinky. That includes the four of us in hmm. this room, including those in pastoral ministry, right? Amen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then at the same time, he gives 
I think that we have in the outline the the royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. The, the church is the it's this almost the, this outpost of heaven here on earth. And we are this community of priests, and it's just such a dignified picture of the body of Christ, something that we are all together. So on the one hand, yeah, it's the flock, and that's kind of earthy, you know, and that should instill, I hope, tenderness in pastors. But then we've got to we've got to just have some esteem and and a sense of healthy respect for what's happening in the body of Christ. This is a nation of priests. That we're being built up into Christ-likeness. We've probably all heard the phrase, if you're called to be a pastor, don't stoop to be a king. Hmm. That's an older phrase. I don't know who originated it. But that's taking what you're saying, Jeff, is the position of pastor and seemingly elevating it to something higher. But I, a pastor of mine rephrased and said, but if you're called to be a king, don't stoop to be a pastor. Hmm. Understand your call in life. Understand who God has made you to be. And if you're not called to be a pastor, it doesn't make you any less of a Christian. Do what God has created you to do and to run with it, this idea of priesthood of all believers. The call of pastor, I would say, is a privileged position. Mm -hmm. I think there are special things about it that are unique, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't hold any more weight than Mm -hmm. the man who works for the water department and their ministry to their people around them and their involvement. I was just going to say that one of the burdens of my ministry over the years has been to help my people understand that I don't have a more spiritual job than they do. Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like I, yes, I get, I get paid to study the word of God and to, to rightly divide the word of truth and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, quite frankly, I exist pretty much in a Christian bubble and they have the real work of ministry mm. as they're mm. out in the mm-hmm. in the world with unsaved coworkers and yeah. <laughs> working in the Amen in them. the grime and filth yeah. <laughs> of <laughs> the world, you know. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, pastors who stand behind a pulpit every Sunday, or even uh, we even elevate missionaries who go overseas, right? And we think, oh, that's a really spiritual thing to do. To, mm-hmm. to become a missionary and go overseas. So that's a really spiritual thing to do to become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just as spiritual to go to work at the water department yeah. yes. 100%. and to, to work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and to give off the, you know, the essence of Christ yes. as you, mm-hmm. as you do your work well and as you conduct yeah. yourself well yeah. in those situations and, and as you work for ungodly people in a godly way, mm. like that's, mm. a, that's a spiritual, mm. that's a high spiritual calling. Mm. It's easy for me to be spiritual around spiritual people. Mm. It's not so easy to be spiritual around unspiritual people. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Amen. It's good to use the language of vocation. And vocation, if I understand it correctly, that word at its core means calling. And so the school principal, he has a calling to serve Christ in that in that um, area of labor. The person who's an administrator, the person who's a school teacher, the person who who is paving streets, they are representing Christ in whatever influence and sphere of influence they have. And it's a vocation. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Can I interject something, go off book a little bit here as we're talking about this? So this is coming to mind for me, but there has been, I think, in our society, and especially in the States, in the U.S., a push towards the pastor as a celebrity. Then <laughs> the whole kind of, there's almost a pastor worship culture <laughs> that exists <laughs> within the church. Not every church, you know, every body necessarily, not every every congregation has this but in evangelicalism in the US there seems to be this sort of pastor as celebrity model mm-hmm. and i wonder and i'll pitch this out to you guys but do you uh, how much pressure do you end up feeling from congregants to be something that you're really not called to be because mm-hmm. of this from from congregants uh, from the congregants that I serve, hallelujah, thankful. I'm so thankful that I don't, I don't feel any pressure in that way. Yeah. In fact, we, we had a, a couple at our church, and it breaks my heart that they're in Texas now. Well, I'm happy for them, but um, I, I would love it if they were here. They, they said, one of the reasons that we're at Church A is 
because you were doing some things in the YouTube video that were nerdy, and we loved that. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, victory. Right. You, he will use the foolish things to shame the yeah. wise. You know, just yeah. they wanted to they wanted to sophisticate the gospel in Corinth to dress it up mm. with worldly styles. And Paul said something stunning. There, I'm going to pull a Michael somewhere in chapter one, right? Something like that, where he says, I am not going to sophisticate the gospel lest the cross of Jesus Christ be emptied of its power. Mm. I'm not going to dress it up in worldly wisdom and stylize it. Eloquent. He says something about eloquent speech, too, and not using... Yeah. All the yeah. sophists. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I haven't yeah. felt the pressure from the, the the folks at Church A. Hallelujah, thank God. So I have what? not either. I've I've uh, kind of made it clear from the beginning that you know we are who we are. I I actually take great, for lack of a better word, pride mm. <laughs> in the fact that we our church has become sort of the um, place that misfits fit. Mm. And yeah. we find ourselves in our community um, being a magnet to people who have gone to other churches and just didn't quite fit in. Mm. And so that leaves us with a bunch of different personality types and a bunch of different, you know, um, just the way people are, quirkiness, the, the bunch of different quirks in our congregation. Mm. Um, and admittedly it can be difficult um shepherding that group sometimes mm. uh but the fact that the misfits fit is a huge <laughs> blessing Amen. to me because i i don't i don't consider myself to be anything but a misfit you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm. and so um the island of misfit toys the island yeah of misfit i was thinking toys. of that yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's i have a dear friend in our church who has referred to our church with such language <laughs> yeah 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 and it's it's just the it's one of the graces that we've been you know that we've been given is that we find ourselves in in a position that you know people that didn't feel accepted or welcomed or whatever in other places Mm. feel that with us. And you know what happens when you get a bunch of misfits together? They don't feel like misfits anymore. They feel like family. Mm. And so then they belong somewhere. Yeah. And that's that's really what it's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Switchfoot has a song called uh, The Beautiful Letdown. You think the Church of God's gonna be like all of the you know all of the top notch celebrities of the world and you know all of the power brokers and god can draw his people from those ranks but actually listen to the lyrics it's like all of the dropouts the fools and all of this kind of stuff yeah again in corinthians you know i've chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise Mm -hmm. and the things that are not to shame the things that are and you know i've told my congregation a number of times i said you want to know what your qualifications for god saving you to be foolish, to be a thing that yeah. was not, to be, you know, yeah. those are the things that he chooses. Yeah. And those are the things that he works through. Yeah. And so. Yeah, and on the opposite end of that celebrity pastor model is the reality that I would, I'm speaking on your behalf, but I know you guys are Christians like myself who mm-hmm. stumble with and struggle with certain mm-hmm. things that as a pastor, you're a sinner leading other sinners. Mm. You're a saint sinner leading Mm. other saint sinners. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it makes me sad that there's this kind of Christian cultural push towards celebrity pastors because it sort of encourages this idea of putting the pastor on this pedestal that they shouldn't be on. And then when they fall, we all go, ha, 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 you see? Mm. And it's like, Mm. who could stand that pressure, you know? I think that's been a... I think that's been a thing for a long, long time because oh, it has. it's not it's not a recent phenomenon because if you think <laughs> of, you know, America's pastor, Billy Graham yeah. or mm-hmm. you know, like right. and I'm not I'm not suggesting the, anything wrong with Billy Graham, I'm not saying anything, but that was how America viewed yeah. Billy Graham was as America's pastor. And there's God, a reason there's a Pope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and uh you know, when God gives people uh with writing ministries and, and 
making commentaries and things like that, uh, they tend to their name tends to get more well known in the Christian circles. You and I probably read some of the same guys when we're reading we do. when we're reading commentaries, and we'd be very familiar with those names and rattling them off, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah like I know that." Joyce work. Myers and yeah, Joyce Myers and <laughs> Rob Bell. <laughs> Richard Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite theologian, Richard Simmons. <laughs> Richard Simmons? <laughs> you haven't heard him. Wow. Uh, Richard Simmons reads the Old Testament. Are you serious? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Dude, man, you, you're messing with me, man. Sorry. I was I, about I, to look it up on, you know, my yes. Audible. Sometimes my sarcasm is a little it's, too... It dumb. was actually sweating to the Old Testament. Sweat to the OT. That's how we roll. Oh, that's, that's roll. great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this concludes this episode of Rant and revelations thanks again for listening please do like subscribe comment and rate us on your platform that you listen on also please send us any questions you might have to the number four rants and revelations at gmail.com and we'll answer your questions in an episode thanks again for listening god bless